Welcome. This is the weekly podcast of Westminster Christian Church. Each week, Pastor Patrick Kamler illuminates the Word of God in a way that's fun, fresh, and engaging. We hope you enjoy this week's message. In 1893, a 25-year-old by the name of Andy Bowen showed up at the Olympic Club in New Orleans with the purpose of defending his lightweight boxing championship against someone we don't know. The reason that we don't know that person was because they scratched last minute. They didn't make the fight. So as a result, a man named Jack Burke, who was actually the trainer of the guy who was the, I I don't know how much of a last minute scratch he was, decided that he would step in and fight Andy Bowen. Obviously, boxing's changed a lot since that time. You just don't take volunteers from the crowd if your opponent doesn't show up. Usually, that's a forfeit, and you get to walk off a winner. So Jack Burke agrees to step in and fight Bowen instead, and the title was put on the line, and the fight commenced. It started at 9 p.m., and unlike today, there was no round limit in boxing. You fought until there was a winner. So 9 p.m., the fight starts. Four in the morning, still no winner. They're still going at it. Many in the crowd actually went home by midnight. Three hours of boxing was enough. They were done. The people who stayed, stayed because, well, mostly because they fell asleep in their chairs watching the fight. Burke, who was the late entrant, actually had won the first 25 rounds of the fight, but Bowen would not stay down. And at some point, they don't know exactly when, but Burke had actually broken every bone in in both of his hands in the fight. And he kept going. By the 108th round, they weren't even throwing punches anymore. They were just circling back and forth. And times like that, I think, what is the penalty if you throw a body kick? Like, is there... You just get deducted points, but if the guy crumples, do you win the fight? I don't know all the boxing rules, at least from the 19th century. The referee steps in and says, okay, that's enough of this. You have two more rounds to do something, and if you don't do anything in the next two rounds, we're going to declare a no contest, and we're going to split the purse. The purse was $2,500. So two more rounds commence, and there's just nothing. The guys are dazed. They're exhausted. There's, they have nothing left except the ability to stand. So after 110 rounds and 7 hours and 19 minutes, the referee declares a no contest and divides the purse. It is still the longest gloved fight in history, and it's a record that will never be broken, by the way, because now there's round limits, now there's time limits, all that stuff is in place. In fact, the the Coma Times reflected in 1904, about 9 years, or I'm sorry, 11 years after the fight, when Burke announced that he was retiring from boxing, it had been a while since his last fight, but he announced his retirement, it was said that that was the last brutal prize fight of that era. And Burke said that boxing is child's play compared to what it was 15, 20 years ago. And I feel like that's a pretty common thing to say about any kind of sport, is the person who's in it says, 
It's a kid's game compared to what it was 15 to 20 years ago. I don't have a ton of old man takes, but one of them is that the NBA was a lot better 25 years ago than it is today. I don't really think that of other sports. I think, I think football is generally better than it was. I think baseball is, well, I'll take baseball back. But that always seems to be kind of the refrain. Things were better than they were a number of years ago. But that is still the longest fight in history. And Andy Bowen did not have much of a career after that. In fact, he would end up dying in the ring about 18 months later. And this was after numerous fights of 20, 30, 40 rounds, 88 rounds. Imagine sitting through one of those sporting events, huh? Yeah. Super Bowl was only four hours, and at least that had some action in it. First Timothy is one of the pastoral epistles. Paul, it's one of the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And the purpose of the epistle really is to encourage Timothy on what it meant to lead a church and be a good leader in Christ. And the things that he tells Timothy are really good for anybody. That's good advice for anyone to follow, but as he's encouraging him, he tells him in chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, he says, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. For something that is supposedly pretty tame, or supposedly pretty easy, like being a Christian, this seems like kind of strange advice on its face when Paul tells Timothy, keep and fight the good fight of faith. Well, why is it a fight? I mean, isn't life supposed to get easier? After I accept Christ as my Savior? I mean, show up to church once a month, give a little money, pray every so often, no sweat, right? That's all there is to it. I'm sure some things get easier. Your, your tongue is more under control, so you don't lash out at people like you used to. If you're not living reactively, like we've talked about a few weeks ago, you don't have those kinds of things in your life, a relationship's not under constant threat, you're mostly free from shame, or at least you have capacity to be free from shame, not that it doesn't creep back up every once in a while. You're attacked, but you're free from fear, you're free from hopelessness, and that makes things a little easier. But at the same time, you've made a declaration. When you pray that little prayer, when you ask Jesus into your heart, however we want to describe it, you made a declaration that you are an enemy of the forces of darkness, that you are an enemy of the one who hates you, who hates your very soul and would love to see you destroyed simply because you are an image bearer of God, that you are an image bearer of the one who created you. And if he won't claim you in hell, he will do everything he can to minimize you, to discourage you, and to make you feel like you will never measure up. The power of Christ is useless, he says. It's impotent. It doesn't have any real impact in the real world where things are happening. You will never make a difference. You will never be worthy of love 
or of acceptance or of forgiveness. You will never break free of the generational curses in your family. You will never break free of the generational chains in your family. And perhaps you don't think it's a fight because maybe you've accepted a lot of this is true. You'll always be angry. You'll always be lazy. You'll always be an alcoholic. You'll always be addicted to drugs, booze, porn, whatever. You were just born this way. Giving's not that important. Serving's not that necessary. I only need to come here every so often. There's no shortage of people who will tell you those things, by the way. I mean, their lives are a mess, but they're free to give advice. They're free to tell you how things should be. They, they and they help you slide into apostasy. It's one of those old school church words. You hear about this from hundreds of years ago. Anybody hear about some of it today? Apostasy. What does apostasy mean? It means you're not fighting the good fight. Now, what I always found interesting is that when people talk about that, they always seem to give it some type of gravity that it don't it shouldn't necessarily have because they approach it as if, well, that's it. That's the final word on your life. You're apostate. Not prostate, apostate. They think that's it. It's not, and we're going to get into that. Paul also says, he says, fight the good fight of faith. That's what he tells Timothy, and it's for us as well. He also says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession. Now, to be clear, you can't earn your salvation. And I happen to be of the mind that if you have truly received your salvation, I don't think you can lose it. I think if you were you are serious, and if you continue to be serious about following Christ and his will for your life, salvation isn't something you can lose. It's not something that you can misplace, like your car keys or the things that I routinely lose in the house and blame my wife for moving. I'm going to be a fun old person. Where's my car? I think one day I went around going, where are my glasses? Where are my glasses at? Anyway. You can't lose your salvation if you've truly received it. But you can disregard it. You can act like it's not important. You can be talked out of acting like it matters or that Jesus ever really saved you. In this time, it's very easy to become what Craig Rochelle calls a Christian atheist. You can believe in God, but you can live like he doesn't exist. I think in... in one of his books, I think he's mentioned this a couple of different times. A good question to ask yourself is if you found out tomorrow that God didn't exist, would it change how you lived your life? Would there be anything different as a Christian about how you approach your life? And it's a good question to ask because it gives us an idea of how much do we really rely on Jesus? Are we fighting the good fight of faith? Are we taking hold of the eternal life that we have confessed to? And there are so many things that can steer us from that. It really is 
a fight to hold on to it because prosperity can drive us away from faith, but so can poverty. Good times can make us think that, well, we really don't need God. And bad times can make us think that there really is no such thing as God. Health can trick us into thinking that we are invincible and not in desperate need, but so can sickness. We can strip down the Bible to make it more palatable, to omit the parts that we don't like and highlight the things that we think are good, but I don't need a Jesus who gets me. I need a Jesus who saves me. I need to fight the good fight of faith. And the barrier to faith is pretty low. It's really low. And I think this is best demonstrated with the criminal that was hanging next to Jesus on the cross. He said, Lord, remember me when you, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, well, um, you have to uh, pray a special prayer, and then we need to take you four weeks of membership classes so that you can join the right church, and also make sure that you uh, are baptized and that you have a confession that you have found people. He said, no. He said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Now, we do all those things for church membership, and I'm not saying those are bad, and some of you have been members of the church. You've done those things. But the point being is that to have faith to give your life to Christ that initial part is pretty easy to do. We don't have 613 laws that you have to memorize and know before you can be part of us. There's not a six-week ramp up. There's no coals to walk over. Repent and believe. That's it. Jesus tells us his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But keeping the faith is a fight. Taking hold of it is a fight. For how long? Get to this week? Once this month clears up, then I'll be, I'll be a little better. I think I saw a shirt or a bumper sticker, probably something online that said being an adult is just saying over and over again, after this week it'll slow down until you die. Eventually, I'll be in a better position. I can really give it my all. I can fight the good fight. I can take hold of all these things. How long do I have to do it? Well, Paul tells Timothy until Jesus returns. He has not returned yet. So we must continue to fight the good fight. And it's a long game. It's a long fight. There's no getting around it. And there are some of us who have been beaten down for 25 rounds. And there are some of us who have busted hands. You've gone round after round after round, and you just don't know how much longer you can go. You've prayed so many times, and it just isn't coming through. You've had dry season after dry season after dry season, and you think something has to change. And we have a powerful enemy, but we have a much more powerful advocate. We have a helper available to us. There's a power that is available to us. And it's a power that does more than just help us white-knuckle it through the day. That helps us persevere and helps us remain positive. It's just, this goes way beyond the power of positive thinking. This is a power that helps us fight the good fight of faith. This is a power that raised Jesus from the dead and lives in you. 
What can you do with that power? Because Jesus Christ is our advocate. He's our strong tower. He's our rock and he's our redeemer. Until Jesus returns, because that's how long the fight lasts. Until Jesus returns, we have a wonderful counselor. Until Jesus returns, we have an everlasting father. Until Jesus returns, we have a mighty God. You know you can read that scripture more than just around Christmas time. And if we rely on his power, if we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, we can remove every snare, we can remove every obstacle, every attack, and we can run the race with endurance, the race that's marked out for us. I think it's pretty easy to talk about endurance and talk about fighting if you have experience with those things. If you're engaged or you have been engaged with something that involves a lot of physical exertion, I think it's pretty easy to relate those things together. Run the race with endurance. Every runner gets that. Maybe if you run, but you're not a runner, you might get that more. I'm, I'm still after this runner's high they talk about. It must be in the longer races that I don't want to do. It's like, where's the runner's high? Well, that 5K, it's 6K. No, thanks. Oh, 26.3 miles. No, I'm all right. But we can run the race with endurance. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are equipped with everything that you need to fight the good fight of faith. Because you can't do it on your own. You can't keep your faith on your own, in your own strength. You will fail eventually. But it's the power of God who allows you to keep holding on. We can, as Paul says, we can forget what is behind, so we can forget all the times where we feel like we've let ourselves down, let each other down. We can forget about the times where we failed. We can forget about the times that we felt like maybe we were giving up the fight, that we were not living in the way that we should be living. We can forget what is behind, and we can strain toward what is ahead pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. We can push forward and know that our God will be victorious in the end. And we claim his victory. Not our victory. We might have some days where we feel victorious. But the ultimate victory belongs to God. And we can claim that victory. And in the end, it will not be a no contest for us. Thanks for stopping by to hear this week's message. But we'd love to see you next week. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 with discipleship groups at 945. This has been this week's Westminster Christian Church Podcast. Have a great week. See you next time.